just want to really welcome Pastor Levi again, who's arrived in Wellington, but he's really um, got a call of God on his life as well. And God is calling him to Canada, and you're going to plant a church in Ottawa. So that's amazing. So we will be praying for you. It's a great country that needs Jesus as well. It's not quite the promised land, but it's near enough. You're not like New Zealand, the land of the long white cloud, but we just want to invite you up this morning, Pastor Levi, and thank you for being with us. Amen, amen, thank you so much. Thank you guys, you're amazing. Can we give these guys a big round of applause this morning as well? Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, it's great to be here this morning. And man, what a night last night. And there would have been, I mean, I don't know the numbers. We probably don't need to discuss that. But there would have been maybe 60 or 70 young people that gave their lives to Jesus last night uh, in the altar call moment at the end of the night. And man, that there, that's, that's really why we do what we do, isn't it? To see young people make a decision, say yes to Jesus. And uh, so everyone that, everyone that worked hard to make last night happen, we love you so much. Thank you. And I certainly felt supported by all the highlighter orange vests. Uh, that were that were around about doing a great work, so uh, which is great. If you have a Bible, go with me to the book of uh, Ephesians, chapter four, verse twenty-nine, and also go with me to the book of First Samuel seventeen, verse forty-eight this morning. And I want to talk to you about the power of our words this morning. And the title of the message is called "Sticks and Stones." And so you can write that down: sticks and stones. The Bible says this: Ephesians four twenty-nine. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. One more time. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And 1 Samuel 17 verse 48 says this, As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, with a sword, without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. Thank you, God, for your presence that's here. We're praying that as we read your word, God, it's the only book that as we read it, it reads us. We pray that we'd be changed today, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, I've seen a few large individuals in my life, big people. Never forget the first time I saw John Alomu live in the flesh. This man was massive. Athletic Park in Wellington. Counties Manukau was playing uh, the, the, the Wellington Lions and I saw him there like, you'd seen him on TV and you'd heard stories about the size of this man. But when I saw him in the flesh, I was like, man, this is, this is the greatest creation that God has ever made. It's like Mount Rushmore in the flesh. A few years ago though, I was at Hillsong Conference and I met a guy whose name is Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler is a current NBA player, came over with one of the team, one of the pastors. The guy's seven foot two with a wingspan of seven foot five. So he's longer than he is than, than his height. Like he was just like this it was amazing. And I'm a big basketball fan, so I was up like in the bleachers, like twelve rows up, and I saw him there on the floor. And you know when you see somebody that's famous and you know you don't want to embarrass yourself by putting yourself out there to shake their hand, this is what you do. You you shout a variation of their name. So don't shout their actual name, because if you shout their actual name, they don't look, and then shame on you. But if you shout a variation of their name, and then they look, shame on them. And so, so his name is Tyson, so I was like, oh, I was like, man, what's Tyson? And I was like, oh, what rhymes with Tyson? You know what rhymes with Tyson? Bison. So I just said bison three or four times, like under my breath. I was like, bison. But I was quite high, I was quite loud. I was like, bison. And I was like, bison. And then he looks, right? And I'm like so excited because... 
he's, he's, a, he's a bona fide NBA player. And so I put, my, I put my arm out to shake his hand, but I'm 12 rows up. He's on the floor. There's no way a human hand can reach that high from the ground to the 12th row of the bleachers. And so I'm there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awkward. And you know, you have universal rules of handshaking, right? You know, it's like, um, you want to hit the web, you know, don't, don't, don't squeeze too soon and squeeze the fingers. Um, don't hold on too long, you know, stuff like that. You know, or if you're, if you're nervous, just wipe your hands on your jeans on the way through. You know, just as little, just little, little tidbits of information there about a quality handshake. I broke all the rules, man, because what happened was um, my hand's out there and he turns and sees me and then like, go-go inspector gadget arms, shakes my hand from the floor. I'm like, my gosh, this is the greatest moment of my life. I'm like, how you going? And he can't hear me because I'm so high up and it's, and it's loud. And so we're having this lip reading conversation there. Awkward moment. Haven't washed my hands since. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I was thinking about these guys, John Alomu, like, oh, I think he would have been six foot five. Tyson Chandler, seven foot two. You know, we read a story uh, that's familiar to most of us, probably to all of us, about a man they, whose name is Goliath, who they think was over 10 feet tall, which means that, that he was as high as the stack of speakers that we see at the front of church this morning. Like this man was a villain, a brooding warrior. Like he was somebody who was designed to take down people in hand-to-hand combat. And then what we have is we have this young man named David who turns up and we make a lot of... Uh, um, we make, we make a lot of the fact that he used a stone and a sling, and those are the weapons that took him down. Well, I'm here today to propose something maybe a little bit different to you this morning, that it wasn't the weapons that took him down that he held in his hands, but the weapon he had in his mouth. You see, the thing about the story of David and Goliath is that the people were fixated on the enemy who was Goliath. And why not? If there was a giant that was that big that came here to take us out this morning, I'll probably just step back into obscurity and let someone else take him out. And why not make the problem the main feature? Because problems are big. When you get that massive power bill, not so much in summer, but when the winter hits, when you, when you get a, a car service and it comes back and it's two, three, four, five hundred dollars more than you thought, when you have relationship breakdowns, when your health is not good, those things can take the main feature of our lives and the problem can become our main focus. And David turns up and he's kind of like, he's like, what's up with this guy? Like, if he was a Kiwi, that's what he would say. He'd be like, what's going on? Kia ora, Fano, Kia ora. What's going on with this fellow right here? <laughs> and, and, he, and he finds the king. He says, what will be done for the man that will take him down? Yeah, I love that. And he says, oh, look. He says, oh, gee, well, a couple of things. Number one, you get the king's treasure. Hello. Number two, you get to marry my daughter. Hello. And number three, he'll, he'll realize the power of this one later on in life. You, don't play, you, know, you won't pay taxes for the rest of your life, right? And he's like, okay, 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 okay. And they put on his armor. He says, no, I don't need your armor. He says, I've been trained and prepared by God in private. The Bible says that he's taking down a lion and a bear in private, and he's ready to take down the giant. I, I, I like to think that God and the Bible overlook some things there, because I think that before the lion and the bear, there were probably some other predators. Yeah. An aggressive possum, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and I think there was a stray cat, you know? And I think there was an overzealous dingo, you know, and I think you just, I think you go, I think you and I, we, we go through levels, you know, we come around, we come around the offering this morning and it's like, man, who knows that if, apparently like the devil's always talking to me in the offering, you know, like someone says, you should give, I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's the devil's, that's the devil. Why is he always, you know, we go through times where like as a young person, you, you learn how to give so that when God asks you to give a large amount later on in life, you know that it's the same voice that you've been hearing your whole life.
when you step out and do something of faith and obedience, it starts with the small and it gets to the point when, it's, when God's asking you to do something that's large. Robert Morris is a great man and we'll probably touch on something that he says a bit later on, but he sold multiple times his home and all of his possessions. I can't even begin to fathom what it would be like to sell those things, not for personal gain. Because I have sold my home and I've sold all my possessions on our way to Canada, but I've, I've kept that money because I'm going to buy a home <laughs> and some more possessions when I get there. You know, But he sold it to be philanthropic and generous. But who knows that it, God doesn't start by just saying, hey, good, you got a new home, that's excellent, give it away. God starts with the small. Gets to the point where you're ready to deliver on the, on the big stage. And he turns up and he, he just kind of, David... David's mint, because he, he's, he just kind of just says, you know what, I don't know about this guy. He's big. He's massive, actually. He's huge, which probably makes him cumbersome, which probably means he's a bit slow, which probably means there's a little bit of a weakness that I could exploit. And then he says, he says a word that I'll say in muted tones this morning, and I, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'll say it because in the Bible, outside of the medical Jewish and Christian circles, this word will probably get you a little bit, the conversations get a bit awkward. He calls him a dog, first of all, and I don't think that's very nice, but probably appropriate. But, it, but he, calls him, he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. Oh, circumcision, there it is. As if to say about this man that he's not a part of our team. He's coming against us, which is not him coming against us flesh and blood, but coming against, against our great God. And he used this word, he says, he says, how dare this man come against the armies of the living God? Like I, I read the story and there's only one army of Israel there that day. But David knows that he's not talking about just that one army that's present that day, but about the fact that God has never lost a fight. Like you and me, we're on the winning team. Like if I came to you this morning and I gave you an exegesis on Black Panther, the latest Marvel movie, and I began to tell you about it, there'd be people like, hold up, I haven't seen it. Don't tell me too much because I want to see it this week at the movie theater. Like don't, don't spoil the movie for me. I saw King Kong, like the Peter Jackson version, like a few years ago. And, you know, King Kong, you know, the big ape. And then Empire State Building, blonde chick, you know, you know and then dies. And, you know, and Nadia's like crying. My wife, she's like crying. I was like, what's wrong with you? She's like, he dies. I'm like, babe, it's King Kong. Like, he always dies. Like, that's the story. You know what I mean? Like, and I was like shocked that she had never heard of the story of King Kong that's been out since, since the 60s, like 50 years this classic movie has been out and she just realized that he died when he died in about the 10th remake. You know what I mean? <laughs> Here's the thing about our faith though. We should live a faith that understands that we can spoil the end from the beginning. This is what I mean. If you watch a movie, you watch it from the start. You don't want to watch the twist and then watch the movie. You need help. But why don't you read the end of your Bible? Why not? Why don't you see that we win? Why don't you see that he comes on a white horse? Why don't you see that the devil's always trying to pick a fight, but always loses because our, our God has never lost a fight. And David turns up and he says, how could he come against the armies of the living God? And he basically tries to say to the Israelites, stop making this problem the main feature of your life. No matter how big he is, God is bigger. No matter how big your obstacles, God is bigger. No matter what you face, God is bigger. He is more powerful. You and God are a majority. And he just says, guys, let's change the ratio. Because before David turns up, if you read 1 Samuel 17, you'll realize that all they're talking about is Goliath. 
Oh, don't you love that? You know when you go to the service station? Oh, how's the weather? Oh, yeah, it's humid. Oh, wee. Gee, bit of rain. Yeah, whoo wee. How's the tides? Yeah, nah, good fishing. Yeah, nah, good. Yeah, yeah. And we just talk about the same, the same things over and over. And David's like, hey, let's change the discussion. Let's change the conversation. It's not about the bad. It's not about him. It's about the fact that we can do anything. And if you're taking notes this morning, I've just got a few questions that I'd like to ask us this morning. Rhetorical questions. Questions that I think that this week will help you. Questions that I think this week will help me. As we experience Goliath moments. Experience moments where we feel on the back foot. You know, the thing about Goliath is they, when you read the word, you see that there's about 300 kilos of weapons and armor that he wore that day. Uh, but who knows that what David carried was heavier than what Goliath carried. Because David carried the weight of heaven. He carried the Holy Spirit. He, he, carried, he carried a depth of understanding that there's nothing that he can't do in God. But if you're taking notes, you could write this down. The first question I would ask us is this. Are your words optimistic? Are they optimistic? Are you positive? Is the glass half full? Uh, do you see the best in every scenario? Is, is there a silver lining in every cloud? A.W. Tozer writes that God dwells in a perpetual state of enthusiasm. In other words, God sees the glass half full. I've got a degree in sociology. No one really knows what that means. But it took me about three years to get it. And while I was at university, they encouraged you to think critically. Critical thinking. Big, big at university. That's, that's basically the main thing that they're trying to get you to do is think critically, whether it's about economics, business, law, whatever it might be. And so I'm there and I'm thinking, man, they want me to think critically. But then I come to church and I've got to have a lobotomy. And I can't, I can't be driven by my emotions. And so I'm confused as to what it is that God wants me to do with higher education and a brain. And how do I do that? Well, let me tell you this morning. If you and me couch our thinking and our experiences in optimism, then we can think critically because you and me are trying to make it better. Who knows that last night, that after the night had finished and all these young people made a decision for Christ and everybody went home, there was, there was, the brain was ticking over. What a great night. How can we make it better though? You know the band this morning, there's one place you don't want to be friends and that's in a praise and worship review meeting. Oh Jesus, these guys are amazing, right? And they'll just nail it. They'll just nail it. And I'll be like, oh, that was 10 out of 10. That was amazing. And then they'll be like, ooh, we shank that so bad. You know, that's how, that's how they review. They're like, oh, that was the worst ever. And you walk, you walk in, you know, you walk in. I'm like, hey man, that was choice, guys. Thanks for that. They're like, no, it wasn't choice. That was the worst ever. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm telling you. Like, what's the goal? The goal is, is that we engage in worship and God turns up, tick, tick, you know? And they're like, no, we were flat. Oh my gosh, there was bung notes. We came on late. This guy, you know, there was after the thing and then that funny like, you know? But I encourage musicians to think critically because their goal is to come back next week and do a better job. Cynical thinking though, cynical thinking says that I can't find anything good out of anything. Cynical thinking says, oh, that was bad. Cynical thinking just writes stuff off. I don't want to be around somebody that just writes stuff off because those people write me off. Those people write everybody off. I'd rather be around someone that says, man, I'm a great father, great husband, but I could be better. Man, I'm a great Christian, man, but I could be better. To be somebody that wants to be better every single day, as long as we couch it in optimism. Your life, friends, is the product, product of the words that you use. 
James 3 verse 8 to 9 says this, The tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Rick Warren tweeted this recently. He said that the word Satan means slanderer. Anytime, he said, that you slander somebody, you do the devil's work for him. That we can't afford to be people that have darkness that come from what we're hearing this morning. We belong to the kingdom of light. There must only be light in us and in our words. Amen. Uh, recently, a friend of mine and his brother, they were having some trouble in high school with uh, uh, dyslexia and just having some trouble with their learning. And the mum was like, oh, you know, this is not going very well. And some of the teachers had said a few negative things about the boys uh, in school. And so she's like, okay, well, I'll tell you what, we won't go against the teacher because that's not going to get us anywhere. What we'll do is this. We'll do some other like, you know, like alternative learning, some kinesthetic learning, and we'll get you thinking and doing things a bit differently. But one of the things we will do is we will write um, in, your, in your mirror, like on a little card, and in your car, 10 faith statements that every day I want you to read. Every day, morning and night, every day. And you know, what's, what's interesting is that the Bible says that Goliath came out for 40 days and 40 nights, every morning and every night. You know, it takes 40 days to start a new habit or 40 days to break an old habit. Like learn a, new, learn a new language. Give yourself 40 days. Start a new instrument. Give yourself 40 days. You won't be, you know, Picasso by the end of that. You know what I'm saying? You won't be the best ever at doing that particular thing. But for 40, you want to give up smoking. Don't just get a nicotine patch. I think you should because you'll get to heaven quicker. You know what I'm saying? But I don't think you want to go that way. You know what I'm saying? I think you want to live your life with fullness. You know, you don't just get a nicotine patch and say, cool, I'm just going to give up. No, no, no. You need time. You need focus. You need to put effort into breaking an old and starting a new habit. And so Goliath came out for 40 days trying to break a habit of faith and start a habit of fear. And every morning and every night, because here's the thing, if the devil gets you before you go to bed, he'll be in your dreams. But if it gets you when you wake up, he'll be in your visions. Because dreams are powerful, but dreaming with our eyes open, friends, that's even more powerful. When the conscious is fully engaged. And she says, that's it. Every, every morning, every night, we're going to do this thing. And so I, I was driving in the car once and I saw it. And I was like, what's this here? And they're like, oh, no, nothing, man. I was like, whoa, look, you know, it's obviously something. It's in your car in front of your odometer. And it's like a faded yellow card. It looks important. And he's like, oh, look, my mum gave it to me. And I was like, give it, cough it up. Give me a look. <laughs> Has statements like this. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I have the mind of Christ. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I'm like, what's this? He goes, well, mum got us saying it years ago. And that's why it's so faded, because it's so old. And we haven't stopped every morning and every night reciting these phrases. He called it self-talk, positive faith statements. And Levi, we both passed school, English and maths. We both moved on, have done an internship in a local church, have both got great jobs. Both of us now married. And I bring it back to the fact that my mum helped us change our words. Because if you can change your words, you can change your thinking. He said, Levi, we were failures on the back foot, not doing anything great with our lives, but I'm thankful for my mum that got us to change our words, and now we believe we can do anything. You know, we're about to move to Canada, as we heard from Pastor Ruth just a moment ago, looking forward to it, sold up our house, land, everything that we own, and putting all of our equity assets, savings into starting this church called Liberty City. We leave next month, at the end of next month, on the 30th, hope to launch the church uh, in September, but we'll, we'll gather with people and have some dinner parties and bits and pieces before then. But here's the thing. We have some money that we have saved up over the last 10 to 15 years of our working lives, but we wouldn't have had that money if it wasn't for 47 Dimmock Street. 47 Dimmock Street is a three-bedroom state home in Titahi Bay, Wellington. 47 Dimmock Street, you blink and you miss it. 
There's nothing flash about 47 Dimmick Street, but it was less flash before we found it. Nadia's like, babe, we need to buy a house. I'm like, yeah, choice, let's do it. So we turn up to Dimmick Street, Titahi Bay, and I can see in the corner of my eye, in the peripheral, I can see a house, but the house, friends, is pink. Now, I don't know if you've read the ancient Chinese proverb that says man shall not buy a pink house, but I've read it, I know it off by heart. There's no way I'm buying this house. She goes, what do you think? And I was like, well, I see a house that's pink. And so I think you know what I think. She's like, no, no, come on, look past the pink. I said, I could look past the pink, but what I can't look past is the three cars in the front yard that have no wheels. I can't look past that. I can't look past the weeds that are growing. I can't look past the fact that it reminds me of West Auckland. I can't look past that. And she says, no, if you can look past that, you know, you'll love it. I said, if I could look past that, I couldn't look past the fact that there are industrial size dog kennels in the backyard and who knows what's going on in this house. If I could look past that, I couldn't look past the fact that the dogs, I'm sure, didn't live in the kennels. I think they lived in the house. (laughs) Stinkiest, most horrible interior of any house I've ever been. Only time that I've been in a house that when I left the house, I wiped my feet on the carpet before I stood on God's green earth. Like that's how dirty this house was. I don't know if there are dog owners here. Are there any dog owners here? Like dog owners, dog lovers? Yeah, nice. You know what I'm saying? If your dog, like I'm six foot one, which makes me the average height of a man. If your dog is this tall, it's too short. Like you need to, because I've got to bend over, man. You need to get your dog about knee height. You know what I'm saying? These horses that these people were housing in this house looked at me in the eyes. Seriously, when I walked in, I was like, and got back in the garage. She's like, so? That's the classic wife one liner right there. You know, or and, you know, so, thoughts, you know, I was like, the next day the real estate agent called us, she says, hey, the, the, the man that owned 12 properties sold 11 of his homes, he's moving to Australia. The only one he didn't sell was 47 Dimmick. I said, yeah, yeah rightly so. Oh, no. I can see why. She said, if you make an offer, I reckon, I reckon he'll sell it. Low ball. Him. I said, okay. So we offered $198,000 in 2008, started the GFC, and he accepted the offer. So then we went to the bank. And I, went, I made a meeting with my bank manager. I was like, hey, I uh, found a house. Here it is. Oh, I think it's got a lot of potential. It's great. And, uh, <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. How much money do you have? And I said, well, I had 10 bucks, right? Um, <laughs> then I bought a, you a coffee. Now I have less than $10. Um, and he's like, how can we back you with a 100% home loan? It's the start of the global financial crisis. There's no way we can make this happen. I said, nah, we can do it. I said, you got to understand, the repayments on this house would be less than our rent. Like, I understand the loan-to-value ratio. I understand the risk. But, like, seriously, man-to-man, paying the, rent, paying the mortgage on this house is less than the rent I'm currently paying in the other house I'm living in. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Let's meet again tomorrow. So I met him tomorrow. Bought my laptop, all my spreadsheets, financials. And he's, like, and he's like, how are you going? How much money have you got? And I said, well, I had 10 bucks. And now I've bought you two coffees, right? We've probably got room for one more, you know? So we need to lock it in today or tomorrow. Otherwise, it's game over. About 10 days later, he came back to me. He said, Levi, I don't know why we're doing this. But he says, we will back you. We'll give you this home loan. How good. Praise God. Amen. 18 months later, after some vision, some optimism, and some hard yakka. We sold that house, made $70,000. And because there's no cap gains tax, there still isn't, eh? Yeah, you know, you never know with the changes in government, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know, yeah, right? And so take that money. And I said to Nadia, I was like, babe, we need to tithe, obviously, goes without saying. But I think we should double tithe. 
And she's like, okay, cool. What do you think that? I said, well, we need to honor God because if it wasn't for him, we would have nothing. We come into this world with nothing. And friends, we leave with nothing. And anything we accumulate in the middle belongs to him. So let's send a signal to God that says this is his. And she's like, yeah, that's great. Anything that comes back to us through real estate or through advancing our lives financially, always look back to that season when we had nothing and God gave us something. But I wonder, friends, what is your 47 Dimmick Street? You know, what is, you, is it a relationship that you have? That you have just got a ream of examples about why you can't advance it, things you can't look past, irritations about people that are in your world that you just can't get over? You know, <laughs> there's a lot of spouses just giggling just then, you know what I'm saying? Like, just like yeah, you know. What is your 47 Dimmick Street? What is it that you need to be more optimistic about? Because you and I, we, we, our lives trend in the direction of our vision. And whatever, if you're ever driving the car and you see something that distracts you from the road, who knows how, 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 how great is it to have rumble strips on the side of the road or, or, or cat's eyes in the middle? Because when you, when you begin to look at something and you, oh, well, there it is. That's your life, though. Yeah. It happens for the good and for the bad. Friends, let's be optimistic. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. The next question I'd ask is this. How much salt is in your water? James 3.11 says this, Can both spring water and fresh water flow from the same spring? Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Seasoned with salt. How good is salt? Here's my question. Why is pepper the partner for salt? Because salt is a rock, isn't it? It's not a herb. But you've got these peppercorns, Peppercorns, now pepper's fine. I say this sometimes, people are like, why don't you like pepper? Love pepper. Love me a peppercorn steak sauce. I love some pepper. But, but salt's at another level. Why didn't basil partner salt on the table? <laughs> Coriander, you know what I'm saying? Thyme, chives. Like, there are so many herbs that are better than pepper. And why, who decided that pepper should be the partner with salt? I don't know. That's, that's some trivia for you. We can find that out another day. But the thing with salt is this. Salt is there to bring out the flavor of the food. Now, if you have no salt, sometimes the food can be bland. Add a bit of salt, flavor comes through. You know, you know when you go to the, to the cafe and someone's pranked you and they've taken that long glass rectangle shape with the stainless steel lid and they've unscrewed it just so much that it doesn't look like it's unscrewed, but when you tip it up, all the salt comes out. No amount of hollandaise sauce, friend, can save your eggs benedict from too much salt. So the Bible says that we should be the salt of the earth. So sometimes people take that as we should be bitter. And angry, frustrated. No, 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 no. There's a spectrum of salt. You can have too much. You can have not enough. But there's a spot. We should call it the sweet spot. But we're talking about salt. Should be the salt spot. That we are called to bring out the God colors. To bring out the flavor in people's lives. That you and me need to understand that we can have too much or not enough. You know, this morning when you brush your teeth, amen, you use toothpaste. When you squeeze your, squeeze your toothpaste tube, you know what came out? Toothpaste. Here's the thing in life. When you get squeezed, what comes out? When, when life, when you know, Gethsemane was the place of pressing, it was an olive grove. You know, the, the olive's destiny is to be squeezed for its oil. But the oil can't come out until it's squeezed. Friend, when you get squeezed, what comes out? Is it oil? Is it joy? Is it gladness? Is it praise? Positivity? Or when you get squeezed, is it bitterness? 
How often have you been in a conversation and you've said something and you've gone, oh, probably shouldn't have said that. And you wish that you could just press a button and, and take your life back. Only about 25 seconds. That's all you need. Because if you could just take that time back, you would not say it and you would not go down in the record books as being a total idiot. When you get squeezed, what comes out? I want to be one of those people that isn't somebody that has bitterness on the inside, but sweetness. That when people talk to me, there's praise that comes through. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. I'll close with this. And the last question I would ask is, um, is what is your word count? What's your word count? Proverbs 17 verse 28 says this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Sometimes by saying nothing, we, we're proved to be the wisest people in the room. Amen. My son Ryder, I've got four kids. Uh, Nadia, Nadia, my wife, she was recently on um, Justice League. Uh, my wife Nadia, and we've got four kids. Uh, Ryder, Mika, Hugo, and Jovi. Ryder's nine and, and, and nine, seven, two, and newborn. And when Ryder was born, bless you, when Ryder was born, he had a diaphragmatic hernia in the womb, which is a, a hole in the diaphragm. The hole was so big that all of his, his lungs were squashed, his heart's in the wrong place. In fact, when we go to the GP, they put on the stethoscope where the heart should be. There's no beat. And they're like, and I go, oh, sorry, there you go, there it is. And the heart's a bit more central to where it should be because when he was in the womb, there was guts all over the place. And so they, they, they made an incision at his chest and pulled and put everything back in the right place, patched him up, four major surgeries before he was one. Champion right now, he's a champion. If he was here, he'd be like, oh, Dad, I don't really want to show people my scar, but I'll do anything for Jesus. And then he'll get up and, and he'll show you. There's a scar operated four times from the left to right. We're in the hospital and, you know, you're going through good, good days, bad days, dark days. And we had, um, you know, we had the church supporting us with meals. You know, if you ever support people with meals, it's powerful. Because food is right through the Bible. You know, food is so much a part of the gospel message. And we're having like reheated lasagna and like soup and stuff like that. You know, all the, all the classics. Uh, and then one day a, a um, partner in a local Wellington law firm turns up. His name is Tim. Tim would be on maybe two, three, maybe 400,000 a year. And he's turned up. He's like, hey, how do you like your steak? And I was like, oh, yeah, medium rare. No, nah, it's medium, yeah. He goes, okay, we'll see you in a minute. Takes off, goes back down to his car, pops the boot in the car park undercover on a raining night at Wellington Hospital, takes out his camp gas burner, reheats some mash and some greens and makes us that night fresh steak, sirloin steak, cooked on the, on the pan with ceramic plates and stainless steel cutlery, which really, when you're at the hospital for three months, all you eat is, all you use is plastic. So to get some metal, ooh, yeah. Comes up, covers it, covers it in tin foil and says, hey, you know, here you go. Um, you know, you're going through, you're going through a lot. And, and I just thought that me and my family thought this would be a nice way to just bless you guys tonight. He goes, hope you enjoy. And then he leaves. The funny thing is, is that as Kiwis, we love the yarns. You know, we love the chat. You know, we love to have a time where we can talk and, and build relationship with one another. But there are times, friends, where your actions speak louder than your words. There are times, friends, where you and I, we do ourselves an injustice by talking. And sometimes it's better to say nothing. Young pastors coming through will say, hey, Levi, what do you do when you go through trauma or traumatic scenarios? You have to pastor people through problems. And then they say this, they say, what do you say to somebody who's at someone's deathbed? And I'll always say, oh, that's your first problem. You're trying to figure out what to say. There's nothing you can say that can make the scenario better. But when you and I go through hard times, we'll come out the end and we'll often use these words. We'll often say, thank you 
for being there for me as I went through that tough time. That's what makes friendships so great. That's what makes family so special. I think this week something's gonna, someone is going to come around you this week and they're going to need some help, not some words. They're going to need some empathy, friends, some kindness. And you're going to just offer a shoulder of support for them to cry on. You may offer a few words, but friends, don't offer too much. Friends, if I said to you this morning, if I used the word audit, ooh, shiver goes up your spine because nobody wants an audit. In their business, that's not what we want. But let me encourage you this morning, friends. Let's this week do a word audit on our own lives. That says maybe I should be talking half as much as I listen. Because your face is symmetrical, isn't it? A pair of eyes, a pair of nostrils, a pair of ears, but one mouth. God and His genius said, hey, let's just use this thing half as much as you use the rest. And let me close with this this morning, friends. Now before, if you take a note, write this down. Take your words and return to the Lord. Isaiah 14 verse 2 says this. Take your words with you and return to the Lord. You know, we are just a collection of our words and our experiences in this life. And when it comes to our relationship with God, when we come back to Him in prayer, devotional life and church, really what we're doing is we're bringing the collection of our experiences and our words back to God. And I like to do like a reverse kind of review. I look back at the last week and say, okay, how was that? How did I go? And God's encouraging, but He'll, he'll often just give you a little... Remember that game like Operation? You're trying to take out the organs and if you touch the side, it's like, you know, we think God's like that. God's not like that. He doesn't give you an electric shock. Yeah, just a little. He just, and he just look at you. you. go, ah, yeah, Wednesday night. Got a bit sassy. Got a bit aggressive. Was a bit tired. Was a bit this, that, and the other thing. And let me encourage us, friends, as we come back to God this morning, let us look and review. Let us look forward and say, Maybe I need to work on my optimism. Maybe I need to make sure that I haven't got too much salt in my words. Maybe I've got to be someone that talks too much. But friends, this morning, let's take our words and return to the Lord. Could you close your eyes this morning? Could you do that? Amen. Thank you. Could you close your eyes? And Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that you're here with us, that you're moving, God, in this place. And we're asking, Father, that you would, that you would encourage us, challenge us, God, we pray. God, bring a conviction that says... These are some areas that we need to change. Show us even just one. Help us this week see, God, who it is that we need to uh, be empathetic towards, who it is this week that we need to listen to, who it is this week that we can support, we pray in Jesus' name. With every eye closed, every head bowed this morning, if you're here and you're away from God, you're here, you don't know Jesus, you're here and you're saying, Levi, that's me. I'm distant from Him. Friend, you're saying, I've never made a decision to follow Jesus in my life. Friend, if that's you, then on the count of three, I would love for you just to raise up your hand. As you, as you raise your hand, I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it and we'll pray a very simple prayer this morning. So friend, if that's you, you haven't made a decision to follow Him before, or maybe you're saying, I once did, but you've moved away from Him. If that's you, friend, on the count of three, throw your hand up so I can see it. One, two, three. If that's you right now, lift it up. Thank you. Amazing. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's brilliant. Thank you. Others this morning, you're saying, I need Jesus. I'm distant from Him. Don't know Him. If that's you, friend, lift it up right now so I can see it. We'll pray this prayer this morning and believe that your whole life can be changed and turned around from a moment praying where we bring our words back to Jesus. Friend, if that's you right now, throw your hand up so I can see it. Thank you, Lord. We're going to pray this prayer this morning and I want every, everybody in the room to repeat this prayer out loud after me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me 
of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can open your eyes. And as I hand back, can you put your hands together? A huge big clap this morning for people getting their lives right with God. Amen.